All right, so we have been in Matthew. We spent about four weeks so far in this thing called the Sermon on the Mount. And I want you to think of the Sermon on the Mount as the instruction manual for like a kingdom culture. Where there's lots of kingdom talk nowadays. What it means to be a part of the kingdom. And these three chapters, I think, explain to us pretty clearly how we should act, how we should think, how we should interact with other people. And I would say it's pretty different and it's pretty difficult. This week when I was reading over the passage that I'm preaching on, um, I was feeling pretty overwhelmed. Like I was telling Britt, I was texting with him, and I was like, I just want to preach on like bunny rabbits frolicking through a field. Like something nice and peaceful and serene. Because whenever I'm preaching a passage, somehow God's showing me how I'm not doing it. He's showing me how I'm failing. Or I'm getting bombarded and being challenged with trying to apply it. And so that's been the case this week with this passage. But before we jump in, let me just... Do you guys know what a culture is? Okay, a culture is like when you, when you walk into this room, there's a culture. Hopefully, there's a culture of love. Hopefully, it's friendly. People are smiling. People are kind. So, we want to display within us, between us, a culture that would represent Christ's kingdom. And I would say to some extent, it's easy here, right? Because everyone's smiling, everyone's kind, everyone's gentle and forgiving. But when we take us and go out there, it's a lot more difficult, right? Because people, they'll cut us off. Like today, I was explaining my frustration to a truck driver in front of me as I was honking really loud as he was swerving. And as I passed with my little Christian fish right underneath my license plate, I don't think I was displaying a kingdom culture then. But it's hard when people challenge you, when people aren't kind, when people are ungracious, when people snap at you. It's, it's hard in marriage. It's definitely hard with our kids, right? I would hope that when you read these, five, these three chapters, chapters 5, 6, and 7, that with each verse, you kind of have this realization that I can't do it. Does that make sense? So you read each verse and you're like, I can't be happy when I mourn. I can't be happy when people persecute me. I can't have this mindset. I think if we kind of give up before we even start, only then will we expect God to show up and do it through us. Now think about this. We are not trying to display a moralistic culture, right? We're not trying to be squeaky clean, perfect. But we are trying to be supernatural. So God is calling us to things that aren't mimicable, that other people aren't doing. 
Right? Love your enemy. Pray for those who persecute you. Are those things possible? Even if you dig down deep within yourself, are those possible? No. So, as we read today, I'm hoping that you will realize that we really need God in order to be a part of God's kingdom. In order to display Christ-like nature, we got to dis- depend on Christ. So let's do a little review here. You have your notes in English? Pull out your notes. So two weeks ago, Britt talked about a life without. Blessed are those who are poor, right? Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. I mean, is any of that true? You see how that's just so countercultural? You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. You're blessed when you can't stand on your own two feet. You're blessed when your life is falling apart. You're blessed when you weep, mourn, when you suffer loss. You're, you're blessed when people are speaking ill of you. I mean, how does that even make sense? It doesn't, right? Because I'm happy when I'm rich. I'm happy when life's going my way. I'm happy when people are speaking well of me. But the reason why the first three verses, verse 3, 4, and 5, that Britt talked about two weeks ago, are true is there is this unique spiritual supernatural blessing when we empty ourselves of ourself and we're still blessed we're still content we're still satisfied you know how people's emotions in this world when it's high they're excited when things are going well and when it's low and life is falling apart they're sad and depressed well, there's something unique about our kingdom culture when we have this contentment, when we have this satisfaction, this joy, even when life around us is falling apart. So the, the first three verses that Britt talked about two weeks ago was about emptying yourself, kind of purging yourself of your own desires, of your own pleasures, being okay with being without. So that was two weeks ago. Last week I talked about a life of godliness. What does it really mean to be godly? Now the way that I used to, about, used to think about godliness was me, myself, and I with my Bible, reading, praying, and then when I was living for God, not sinning at all, being perfect, moralistic, upright. I only thought of my righteousness and my godliness vertically speaking. Does that make sense? How good am I with God when I'm in my room, when I'm in my prayer closet all by myself? But I think that verse that we studied last week, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness' sake. 
has a lot more to do with those that want what God wants, horizontally speaking. That makes sense? That it's not only vertical being right with God, but I'm seeking to love like Him, to show peace, to show mercy like He shows mercy. And this is hard, right? It's easy to stay committed to my Bible and believing what God believes when I'm by myself. But think about the verse, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. It's hard to show mercy when people are showing wrong to you, right? It's hard to show peace when everybody's chaotic and divisive. All of these verses, to be merciful, to hunger and thirst for what is right, to be peaceable, to pursue purity, do you guys realize that it's absolutely impossible without God? There's no way that you can do any of the right that God wants you to do without His help. So, go with me. Picture this. Two weeks ago, we talked about a life without. Last week, we talked about a life with Him. So we have to empty ourselves of ourself so that we can be filled up with Him and live the way He wants us to live. And once we do this, once we begin walking the way He wants us to walk, guess what's going to happen? We're going to experience persecution. We're going to experience opposition. We're going to experience pushback. Now this is hard, right? This verse makes no sense to me. Let's look at this first verse. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. How does this make any sense? Be happy when people hate you. Be happy when people persecute you. Do you see how this is a complete contradiction of everything our world tells us? Think about this. Our default worldview is self-promotion, right? To establish, promote our own agenda, our own purpose, our own interests. Or self-preservation, I'm going to do things that aren't going to harm me, where I'm not going to experience any opposition or setback. That's my worldview. I'm, I'm trying to find the path of least resistance and the most blessings dumped on me. That's what I'm looking for. That, in my eyes, is a blessed life, right? If I were to script my life, if I could, I would love to not have any hurdles, trials, sicknesses. It would be just smooth sailing, right? And then I would say of my life, I am blessed. But this verse and the two following all talk about rejoicing, being blessed, when you're being persecuted, slandered, you see, the way that 
When we walk with God, when we walk in a kingdom reality, God is calling us to self-sacrifice, self-denial. And so do you realize that in following God, it's not in your best, it's not in your best interest? Does that make sense? The way a lot of times that we explain following Jesus is it's going to be better for you, everything's going to go well, you're going to experience life and life in its fullest, the way that you picture it. But when you read about what Jesus says, Jesus said, they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. And we're going to talk about this in just a second, but Jesus said, take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me. So, this is something that I have not got my mind around yet. So this week, for example, I had some people saying untrue things about me. I had some people speaking evil of me. And what was my response? I was like, I'm so blessed. I'm so blessed. That's, that was my response. I mean, you guys should emulate me. No. I was frustrated. I was mad. I was like, what can I say to show this person their sin and how they've wronged me? That's what I wanted to do. And boy, that felt so good as I schemed in my head revenge. Right? And then I sat down to prepare this sermon. And I was like, are you kidding me? So I text Britt. I'm like, I want to I wanna preach on squirrels and bunny rabbits and flowers. I don't want to preach on this stuff. Look at that verse again, verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. If you're like me, I've always read past this verse because I've been like, I haven't been persecuted. Right? Like six years ago, I was in Iraq at a church talking to believers who had family members that were executed and martyred and killed. Like, persecuted. I met one guy in Iraq who he saw his 12 brothers and dad killed. Okay, so that's persecution. That's like extreme persecution. And so I read these verses and I'm like, they're for Christians in third world countries that experience real setbacks. But persecution, it comes in other forms. I bet a lot of you have experienced some mental and emotional persecution being threatened maybe at work for what you believe, being intimidated, maybe manipulated, maybe social persecution, racism, partiality, favoritism. Maybe it's something a little bit more mild, but the effects are still true, it being ignored. 
overlooked. Pero los están allí. So there are multiple forms of persecution. There are multiple ways in which people don't treat us the way that we would like to be treated. And what I love to do when people do that is I love to show them what they're showing me with a little bit more zeal and passion against them. They're being mean to me, I'm going to be mean back, but I'm going to do it in a way that they don't realize it's happening to them. But what's the kingdom response? As you think, as we continue in the book of Matthew, it talks about when you experience persecution to turn the other cheek. It talks about showing mercy. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. What? If, if he's thirsty, give him something to drink. Or in a couple weeks, we're going to be reading this verse. Love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. So it says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom. Go to the next verse. Verse 11. In verse 11, what it does is it gives us more details of the types of persecution, most likely, that many of you have experienced. Blessed are those when others revile you, persecute you, utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. So what does it mean to be reviled? To be put down... People to speak lies about you. Racial slurs. To be discredited. What does it mean to utter evil? To be defamed, to be vilified, critiqued, slandered. I assume something like this has happened to you guys before. But I would bet that when people are speaking evil of you, people are overlooking you, I bet your response in your head has never been, I'm being blessed by God right now. This is a good thing. This is for my benefit. This is an opportunity to be refined. Most of the time, I absorb that stuff. I let it define me. I let those insults and persecution refine me and mold me. And I begin to mirror back at those people everything that they are showing to me. Now some of you, I would bet, are a little bit arrogant. And you like to be persecuted. You welcome it. Because you're like, I'm going to be so much like Jesus once I'm persecuted. I know. I mean, I teach some of you EBC students. I've heard this. I went to India 10 years ago. And the United States issued a travel warning right before we went. And a blessed EBC student came up to me and said, Matt, isn't it cool that possibly... You might be persecuted for believing in Jesus when you go over to India. You know what I said to him? I'm like, you're an idiot. 
There's this weird fantasy that we have of martyring ourselves for Jesus. Let's look at the life of Peter just real quick. Because Peter was this type of EBC student, this youthful zeal. Look what Peter said. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, Where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me afterwards. Listen to what Peter says. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. So a lot of us will say, I'll take a bullet for Jesus. Right? I'll die by the sword for Jesus. But do you realize of all those biographies that you've read of people laying down their lives for Jesus, all those men and women of God in the past, there's probably just as many, if not more, who denied Christ when the heat was turned up. You see, this is all we can do in our flesh is we can make big boasts of following God. But when the heat gets turned up, guess what? Our flesh boils to the surface. And within one evening, three times emphatically, Peter denied saying, I would never, I don't even know this guy. I'm not, I don't have anything to do with him. I'm not one of his disciples. I mean, Peter had so much zeal, yet at the same time, that same zeal, he passionately denied Christ. So just know that God is calling us to something impossible. It is extremely hard to follow Him, and it's extremely hard to mimic and display His character when people are persecuting you, reviling you, speaking evil of you. Now look at the example of Jesus. Next passage, 1 Peter. For this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in His steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in His mouth. When He was reviled, He didn't revile in return. When He suffered, He did not threaten, but continued entrusting Himself to Him who judges justly. So just think about this practically speaking. It says that he committed no sin. Do you realize that when mankind was showing Jesus their worst, he was being sinned against to the greatest extent? At that moment, at that moment of being sinned against that greatly, He was declared sinless with no deceit in his mouth. He would have had every right to show revenge. But he absorbed that sin. He didn't mirror it back. He didn't reciprocate it. So when he was hated, he loved. When he suffered, he didn't threaten. So just think about this. We'll say, I will die for you. 
I'll be persecuted for you. I'll allow people to say all kinds of evil about me. But let's just, let's just take it down a notch and just see if you're even reciprocating God when it's difficult. Just think marriage. When I do a wedding ceremony, a lot of times this is the passage that I go to and I'm like, it's very easy to love your spouse right now because they're beautiful and they're pretty and they're picture perfect. But can you show patience to them when they're snapping at you? Can you be gentle when they're being harsh? Can you be kind when they're being rude to you? You see, it is easy to love the lovable. But this passage in Matthew and in 1 Peter, it's giving us a principle that he's trying to push into our kingdom culture. And do you realize what the principle is? Can you look like God? Can you walk like Christ? Can you display the fruit of the Spirit even when people are coming against you? Even when people aren't patting you on the back? Even when people aren't encouraging you? Can you continue to display Christ when there's roadblocks and hurdles? Do you realize it's easy to display Christ when people are thanking you for loving them? It's easy to display Christ when people are praising you for acting like Christ. But let me say this. Get this. It is impossible to display Christ when people are speaking evil of you. It is impossible to display Christ when people are critiquing you and putting you down and intimidating you and bullying you and mistreating you. You see, this last week when people were saying things untrue about me, what I did first is I just got other people on my side. I called my wife up. I injected her with a little poison and she came out like a watchdog protecting me. I called Brit. But what I should have done, what I could have done, is I could have said, God, you, you put me in an impossible situation and all I want to do is just get upset. All I want to do is dig into these people's lives and find something that I can say of them. But instead, what I should have done is look to God and just say, God, I can't do this. I can't handle this. Help me to see this situation differently. Help me to respond a way that's appropriate, a way that's supernatural. Okay, last verse here. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Do you guys get the theme here? Blessed are those. Rejoice. Be glad. 
you guys get how countercultural this is, how different this is. That if we really depend upon the Spirit and walk like Christ, this culture of living stones is going to be completely different than anything else this world has seen. Do you realize that, as it says in your notes, to some extent it's normal. It's normal to experience opposition as His disciples. It says, for so they persecuted the prophets. When I, when I read Hebrews 11 about the prophets and the men and women in the past who followed God, I very much romanticize their life. I glamorize their life, right? I mean, I would love to be like Noah, right? Who had faith for a hundred years to build the biggest ship this world has ever seen in the middle of nowhere. I would love to have that type of faith. Or I would love to have the boldness of Moses to stand before the most powerful king in the known world and command, demand to let God's people go. And to have the perseverance and the endurance to lead two million people around in the desert and keep his faith in God. I would love to be a man like him. Or just think of Joshua and Gideon, the type of battles that they faced with their enemies, where Joshua marched around the walls of Jericho, believing that they would fall. Gideon believed that just with trumpets and empty jars and torches that he would defeat his enemy. Or just think of David standing before Goliath with a sling, with a stone, not even being able to put on the armor and having confidence in God. Like, I would love to take those good moments of those people's lives and have them in my life. Why? Because they stroke my pride. They stroke my ego. They make me feel good. They make me feel like I'm a faithful, godly follower. But just think of those same people. Think about the setbacks and the persecutions. Sure, David stood before Goliath, but at the same time, there was a good portion of his life that he ran and fled for his life. We look up, we admire Elijah, but just think of all the persecution he faced. Or John the Baptist, one of the most godly men who had ever lived. And he was beheaded for what he believed. I mean, we read the first part of Hebrews and we're like, I want to be like these men and women of faith. But the way Hebrews 11 ends, it says, it says some were tortured, others suffered mocking and flogging, chains and imprisonment some were stoned some were sawn in two they were killed with the sword they went about in skins of sheep and goats 
destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world is not worthy. Alright, so let me just wrap this up. Most of you, I would say, you're willing to follow Christ, right? You're willing to go where He goes. You're willing to do what He asks of you. But are you willing to follow Christ when it is not in your best interest? When you're kind of at that junction and you're like, it would greatly benefit me if I went this way, but God is most certainly and definitely calling me this way. Are you willing to follow Christ when it's not desirable, when it's not attractive? Are you willing to follow Christ when it's difficult, when it's trying, when it's tough, when it's challenging? Because I think, like me, following Christ has always been in my best interest, for the most part. People, because I believed in Christ, thought highly of me. People wanted to be like me. People wanted to associate with me because I was following Christ. But over the last few years, as I've continued to follow Christ, people have questioned the way that I've tried to follow Christ. People have told me that I'm not walking in wisdom as I've followed Christ. People have said that I've been stupid, that I've been foolish. People have said, you're not being a good husband, you're not being a good father in how you're choosing to follow Christ. Like, are you willing to follow Christ when it gets difficult and when others, believers, are telling you the way you're following Christ is not right? You see... Jesus warned us that it would be like this. Look at this verse. Mark 8. You guys have heard this one before. Jesus was very public with this. He called the whole crowd with His disciples and He said, If anyone would come after Me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow Me. In other words, He said it was going to be difficult. Have you practiced this daily? Taking up your cross, denying yourself, following Him. Just think about denying yourself. Are you okay in denying yourself, living without luxury, living without security and safety and comfort? Now some of you guys think that's sexy. You're like, I want to live on the edge. I want to live on less. I don't want to have... I only want to have two pairs of clothes. I want to have one piece of furniture. I'm not even going to have a bed. I'm going to sleep on the floor. But are you willing to follow Christ when people aren't giving you any self-recognition for all of your so-called acts of godliness? Are you willing to put yourself aside where you don't seek any honor or praise in how you choose to follow God? Are you willing to have an honest moment with yourself and with other believers to separate your desires from Christ's desires? So are you willing to deny yourself like that actively, daily? 
And are you willing then to take up your cross? To put on Christ? I mean, Christ's destination was the cross, right? And the roadmap that He chose to get to the cross was a lot of hurdles, a lot of setbacks, a lot of potholes and hills. So are you willing to follow Christ when it's not easy? Are you willing to follow Christ even when it gets difficult? Are you willing to follow Christ when you experience shame and embarrassment and even a stigma and when people misunderstand you? Let me just be honest because I don't think I'm always willing to follow Christ in those moments. When I'm in that moment and I'm like, it's really hard to take a step forward and I'm getting no encouragement and people are just misunderstanding me and misrepresenting me, you know what I want to do? I, want to, I just want to be like, I'm done, God. This is too much. I'm too tired. The reward is too little. Because in those moments, all I see is what is right in front of me. I see the difficulty. All I hear in my ears are the discouragement and the insults and the setbacks. All I feel in my body is tiredness and being weary. So how in that moment when people are reviling us, when people are persecuting us, when people are uttering all types of evil, when it's really, really hard to step in the right direction, how do I continue when everything that's going on around me, everything that my eyes are seeing, my ears are hearing, and my body is experiencing, how do I keep going? I think this last verse gives us that encouragement and gives us the perspective. I put this verse in your notes and I would encourage you to meditate on this verse this week, to pray through it, to process it, and do it like this. Be honest with yourself as you read this verse and say, I'm not willing to go there. God, I don't have that perspective. I don't think I believed you that much. Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which so closely clings to us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider Him who endured such hostility from sinners against Himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. So let's just think for a second as we wrap up here through this verse. Since we have this great cloud of witnesses, we have all of these people that were listed in Hebrews 11. Rahab and David and Gideon. All these people that kept on keeping on even when it was difficult. Even when it was hard. And it says, let us run with endurance. Are any of you guys runners? I know Brit and Nidia are. 
Nydia always looks like she's not even trying as she's running and then Britt's struggling to keep up with his wife. When I used to run in high school, I would always run the distance races. And they were terrible. Like for the two mile, we would run eight laps. And like lap three and four, all I could think about was my legs being sore, my gut felt like there was a knife in it, my lungs felt like they were bleeding, my eyes were stinging from the sweat. And in that moment when I was running, on lap three or lap four, all I could think about is, this sucks. I want to quit. I want to sit down. I'm done. But what kept me going? I was like, I'm a champion. I was like, I'm going to win. I'm going to get through this race first. And so, although in that moment it was really, really hard, and it was in my best interest to sit my rear down on the infield and just give up, I knew I had so much faith and confidence that if I pushed through and kept going, there would be a great reward, right? You see, Jesus, it says, for the joy that was set before Him. You know what I want to say? That's a lie. The joy that was set before Him at the cross? Are you kidding me? As humanity was giving Jesus His worst, how could He say, for the joy that was set before Him, endure the cross? That makes no sense to me. That seems like a flat-out lie. But you see, He looked up and above and beyond everything that He was experiencing at that moment. So let me just put this into your life. Some of you guys are struggling to make ends meet. You know, like in my neighborhood, there's people that are struggling to make ends meet. And they know they can do wrong within a couple hours and they can get all the money they need in a month to make things better for them. But they're choosing to do right. Or you think in the moment with your spouse when all you want to do is lash out because in the moment it's going to make you feel better. But you know if you lash out it's not going to be better for you in the long run. There's all of these moments that you're going to experience today. These setbacks, these difficulties, these difficult interactions with other people. And in the moment, you're going to think it's in your best interest to lash out, to react, to sin against. But what we need to do is believe verses like this and have our hope refined that even though everything, the situation is telling us in the moment, this is too much, this is too difficult, I'm going to give up, I'm going to react. We have to believe the verse where it says, Blessed are those who are reviled. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Blessed when people utter all kinds of evil against you. There's a reward 
And there's even joy that comes when you respond like Christ in the midst of these difficulties, in the midst of these setbacks, in the midst of these hurdles. So what I want to do is I want to pray for us. We're going to have a couple songs. Because the difficulty of a passage like this is we get caught off guard in moments with these setbacks. If I knew on the way home that my kids were going to be ungodly, I could kind of like ramp myself up for it and be all prepared to be the most godly dad in the moment. But we get hit when we get cut off or where our kids start screaming at each other or our wife or our husband doesn't encourage us or overlooks us or doesn't appreciate us in the moment. There's no preparing ourselves in those moments. We don't know the sin that's going to be thrown at us. And so what I'm going to pray is that the Spirit of God in those moments would supernaturally remind us of a passage like this so that we wouldn't react and that we wouldn't reciprocate sin, that we wouldn't reciprocate the rudeness, the evil that people are showing to us in those moments. So let me pray for us. Father, I pray that you would help us when people are being rude, when our husband is not appreciating the time that we're putting into the kids or putting into the different things that we're busy with in our lives, when he's not encouraging us, when he's not loving us as we should be loved, when our wife is overlooking us, Lord, or insulting us, when our roommates are not speaking highly of us, when our neighbors are making living next to them difficult. Lord, in all those moments, I pray that you would help us to display you. So, Father, I pray that we would come to the end of ourselves and that we would be crazy excited to see how you intercede for us, how you remove the evil from our heart, (coughs) and you put within our mouth words of affirmation and encouragement and purity, and wherein you change our evil motives and make them pure. And in those moments, Lord, we pray that you would supernaturally put within us a disposition to be gentle and kind and loving. And may we not expect to be recognized or honored or praised. So, Father, we pray that you would work in us and that we'd be amazed by how you step in in our lives in those difficult times this week. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.